0: mckenna said something like um people are afraid of psychedelics because something in them knows that they will actually do what they're purported to do hmm. and it's intimidating even for the most accomplished uh, to go into that place yeah it's it's a permanent unknown
1: you know which mm. is why it's, you know again it's important to have the experience to know how to hold that experience for somebody else um but if you never do it, it's this unknown thing. The amazing thing about the mushrooms is that they speak. They talk to you. They will answer questions, carry on conversations. Psilocybin just pulls up a chair on the porch and puts its feet up
0: hey everybody what's going on welcome back to another episode of civil seven says i am your host eric osborne and today is another lsd episode that courtney will not be with us for i don't know what it is but she just seems to opt out whenever there's an lsd based conversation courtney what is going on anyway today we're talking with cole butler cole is a psychedelic research coordinator he coordinates an lsd for anxiety clinical trial where he's also a trained dosing session monitor Cole also conducts individual and group ketamine assisted psychotherapy he offers coaching and consulting services through his private practice lion heart wellness I'm going to leave some links to his website and his LinkedIn profile in the show notes. I hope you enjoy this conversation. It was uh, quite insightful. He offered some anecdotal personal experiences of what some bad LSD set and settings are like and some more positive viewpoints on what it can look like for those who are seeking therapy or for those who are just seeking therapy. Mm, the benefits of LSD. You know, we don't always, always have to classify it as therapy. You can just feel good. You can just have a better day. You can just relax into it and enjoy the ride. Remember, weird's where the work gets done, and it sure gets weird with LSD. All right, Cole, welcome to Silla 7 Says... Thank you. Yeah. You are the first Coloradoan, <laughs> Coloradan. How How are you? How are you all? Who are you? Colorado. <laughs> Colorado. Colorado. Uh, yeah, that I've spoken with since uh, 122 has passed, I believe. So that hopefully will be a part of our conversation. i uh, really excited to see what Colorado does in terms of psilocybin legalization. Uh, particularly in comparison with what has happened in Oregon. But um, just give our listeners a little bit more detail about the, the, the work that you're doing there, the studies that you're undertaking, and, and how you came into psychedelics for some background.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Um, I do a few different things, pretty much everything professionally with psychedelics. Um, my main role is as a study coordinator on the Med LSD for Anxiety Clinical Trial, uh, at Fort Collins at homeless Center in Fort Collins, Colorado. Um, also do some individual and group work with ketamine-assisted psychotherapy. Um, hoping to do some work with psilocybin now that Prop 122's passed. Um, yeah, and that's kind of the basics of what I do. I do some research uh, as well, writing papers and things. Um, I'm on the track to become a therapist Um, Yeah, as far as how I got into psychedelics, I mean, I've been interested in them for probably a good 10 years. Um, I'm 27 now, so when I was a teenager, I was just fascinated by them. Um, Had a lot of personal experiences throughout my life. Um, And when I was about 20 years old, I think, I had a really powerful experience with LSD that made me want to shift from a mechanical engineering career to a career in psychology. Um, And I wasn't even thinking about like doing psychedelic therapy or psychedelic research or anything. I just wanted to study psychology and kind of be on the therapist path. Um, But I was interested in psychedelics. So as I started to learn about psychology, I started to see what MAPS was doing and other organizations. Um, well, really, it was mostly just MAPS back then, in 2017 or so. But um, anyway, so started to learn a little bit. Um, was kind of interested in the background, and then I was trying to identify, you know, my research interests. Like people on the PhD path I always like do some research, I'm like, well, the only thing I'm really interested in is psychedelics. Um, But it's it's hard to do that, kind of brand yourself in that way in the professional space. Mm. But eventually, I just kind of, like, I'd done enough of the traditional research stuff. I kind of threw my hands up and said, whatever, this isn't who I am. I want to do this psychedelic research. I started networking with people, uh, came to Colorado, got hooked up with some really good folks here, um, mainly Dr. Scott Shannon. Um, and then the door started to kind of open. Yeah. Since then, it's just really taken off.
0: So, excuse me, your personal practice with LSD, would you mind talking about that?
1: Yeah. Well, it's funny the first time I, I like to mention this because I was, I think 16 and I took, um, a half tab of what I thought was LSD, but it was really bitter. Um, it just had like, horrible taste. (laughs) And I had a really bad trip, actually. Um, I mean, I was like alone in this house in a sketchy neighborhood. It was dark. um, And it wasn't LSD, I'm pretty sure. Mm -hmm. Now it was 25i in the bomb. And I've heard um, a professional in the space use the phrase, if it's bitter, it's a spitter, um, which Mm -hmm. I think is accurate. (laughs) As you know, LSD, Usually, there's not much taste, maybe a little Mm -hmm. bit, but this tasted like I was licking a battery. Mm. Um, So, I had like what I would call a temporary um, psychotic break, like a drug induced psychotic break, Mm -hmm. um, which sucked. And I thought I was never going to come back. Uh, (laughs) And I thought I just fried my brain. It was really scary. And I said, I'm not doing this again. But I did. (laughs) I tried. (laughs) Yeah. I tried. At
0: at what point did you determine that it was not LSD?
1: Um, I don't know. I found out like maybe a year later. Um, I can't remember exactly, but I just, I really specifically recall like it tasting super bitter. And I found out later, like it's not supposed to taste like that. Um, and yeah and it was just very different i mean there was a lot of visuals kind of kaleidoscope visuals when i closed my eyes but there was definitely like a thing of my thoughts were incoherent there was no linking one thought to the next it was just i'd have a new thought and then it'd be completely you know disorganized from the next one and i was just kind of like this and i was terrified i thought it just fried my brain um like i said i was Fifteen or sixteen years old, Um, yeah. I and then in the later years, um, I tried real LSD, um, real psilocybin. Well, not that I'd had fake psilocybin, but I started to uh, to experiment with those. Um, So I'd had some experience before, but there was one experience that was particularly powerful for me. it's kind of a long story, but it's probably worth telling. Mm. Um, so, uh, yeah. So I'm from Hot Springs, Arkansas. Uh, it's a small town in Arkansas. And at this time, I was smoking a lot of weed. Um, I don't smoke weed anymore, but um, I had a drug dealer. Uh, goes by Doc. And uh, he was just a really cool guy. I was like, you know, 18, 19, 20 around this time, and he was mid-30s, and we just connected on a lot of things, like motorcycles and stuff like that, Um, and he had a little trailer, um, but it was really nice. It was decked out. It was super clean in there. He had this big wraparound couch, really nice sound system, a really... Big flat screen TV, and like he had this old school pinball machine and all this cool stuff in there. Um, and he was a good friend uh, to me and, and my friends. Um, I don't want to include my friends in this conversation. I don't want to use their names, I'll say, but I'll just call them A uh, and D. And uh, A is my longtime best friend for 15 plus years. And D was a, a mutual friend, uh, so A's friend. I, I used to go over there all the time. We'd buy a little weed. We'd probably like buy a gram, and Doc would smoke, you know, more than a gram with us. He mostly just wanted to hang out with us. Um, mm. And we noticed sometimes that Doc would have, have like other young men over to like kind of help out around his place. Um, He did a lot of like yard work stuff. Like he had a really nice lawnmower. It said like bad boy on it. And it probably cost like $7,000. Anyway, he did a lot of yard work. And I think, you know, these young guys would come over and they needed some mentorship and direction. So he would, um, you know, give them little side jobs and stuff. Um, Anyway, so I moved out of Hot Springs when I was 20. And I went off to college at University of Arkansas, Fayetteville. And I came back um on Christmas break. So I've been gone about six months. And I wanted to hang out with my best friend. Um, like I said, that was a guy I'm calling A. And so um I don't remember how I had some LSD or he had some LSD, and we said, well, let's do some of this and go see our friend, Doc, and hang out, and it'll be a nice, comfortable space to do this. Well, um, turns out in the six months or so that I had gone, um, our mutual friend, D, had kind of taken on this role with Doc of kind of being one of the young guys he mentors, but they had like a really close kind of relationship. In any way, so things had gotten dark in that six-month period. Um, I remember about a month before this, actually on Thanksgiving break, I'd come back as well, and I went over to this kid D's house, and he was like 19, maybe, and he showed me a gun that he had, and he handed it to me, and he said, "Look, check it out," um, and this guy, Doc, had bought the gun for him. Um, And he was real bitter, uh, D was, because he had been selling weed before um, and he got robbed and he would always talk about it. He was real kind of insecure about being robbed. So I think that's why the gun was bought for him. So um, anyway, so we're back on Christmas break. We're gonna go over to Doc's. We're gonna have this LSD experience. We're excited. Aiden had met a mutual friend. Oh, sorry I said his name, but oh well. (laughs) A. It's all good. It it doesn't matter really. But um, A had a mutual friend called Z. um, Maybe Zane. We'll just go with Zane. I, I honestly don't even remember what the kid's name was, but he was maybe 18 years old and he was kind of a yeah he he just didn't really have any direction he was the kind of kid probably didn't have a dad in his life either i should say we probably all didn't really have dads in our lives in one way or another um and so anyway um a wants a mutual friend uh, to go with him uh and so we pick up this this kid uh, zane and we all go over to docs and D isn't there at this point, but he arrives later. But we sit down on the couch, you know. I take some LSD, A takes some LSD, Zane takes some LSD. Um, But when we got there, um, the lights were out in the trailer. Uh, And this guy, Doc, his mom's trailer was like kind of right outside his, so they kind of sat adjacent like that. and there was like a power cord that was running from Doc's mom's house to his house to power on the TV. And it was kind of one of these trailers, I guess you call them a shotgun trailer, where there's like a, you know, the living room area and then the kitchen and then the bedroom. Say a shotgun trailer, you could shoot a shotgun mm, right through the Straight through, right. Uh, yeah. Uh, yeah.
0: <laughs> yeah. You're familiar. We have shotgun houses here, we call them, yeah.
1: Okay. Um so there was a big like blanket that was set up in between the living room and the kitchen. And used to, we just go right back into the doc's bedroom, he'd way up the weed for us, you know, it was all cool. But now it was like that area was blocked off. So like, something was up. Um, you know, it couldn't pay his electrical bill for some reason, and um, anyway, so If you can imagine, you know, it's really dark in there. It's like 10 o'clock at night. Yeah,
0: sounding very shady. Sounding (laughs) very shady.
1: Yeah. Oh, my God, it was. And um, But, you know, the only thing that was hooked up was the TV. And for whatever reason, Doc's like, oh, I'm going to put on Pink Floyd's Dark Side of the Moon. And he's like, every time I put it on, I I have a bad trip. And I'm like, well, then don't put it on. (laughs) I'm like, just please, don't put it on. Um, Mm -hmm. And he turns it on. Anyway, um, so it just totally set the tone for what was about to be a very good night. Yeah, it was already kind of weird because the dynamic was like, A and I knew Doc well, you know, we're all friends, and then we bring in this new kid that nobody knows, and he's tripping and we're tripping and like me and A are like going back and forth talking. It's like, how do we include this kid? So it was already kind of uncomfortable. Um, and then, yeah, the, the other kid, D, shows up at some point later on. Um, and uh, he really wanted to impress the, the new kid, um, you could You could just tell, you know, he wanted to be cool. He wanted that attention. Um, And he had this thing called an e-nail. You know what an e-nail is? Mm -hmm. Okay, you know what like a dab rig is? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. It's like a way to like plug something in that keeps the nail hot where you put the the dabs on so Mm -hmm. that you can just hit it at any point in time. And anyway, he was like bragging about this, you know, and it was so cool. And he had this fancy new $200 piece of technology, and he wanted everybody to hit it. And I, you know, I'd smoked weed while on LSD before, and it wasn't particularly great. So I was like, no, I just want to have the LSD experience. Um, and so I was like, nah, I'm good. And so at At this point in time, like, I'm sitting on the couch, I'm wearing a blue shirt, and this dude says out loud, that dude in a blue shirt's a bitch. And I'm like, what? (laughs) I'm like, I was more perplexed than anything, because I'm like, what is going through your mind where, like, I'm the only one in a blue shirt, we're all, like, sitting here, and you're just going to say that out loud. Um, I was more like, something is up with this kid.
0: Mm-hmm. Um, and this, this was the Z guy, Z? Uh,
1: no, uh, D, so this was okay. kind of guy Doc. The guy you
0: had known, okay.
1: Yeah, Doc's kind of mentee friend at this point. Uh-huh. You know, he's trying to show off for Zane, um, trying to impress him, so he's trying to bring out this this email, this cool thing, and say, everybody take a hit off of this, and I'm like, no. Oh, because so,
0: you didn't want to. Okay.
1: Yeah, I didn't want to. And so he's like, oh, that dude in the blue shirt's bitch. And I'm like, what? <laughs> I was, like I said, I was just perplexed. Um, and anyway, so he was just acting really, really strange. Um, and I remember that. I remember one other thing that he did. We had this kind of like half dome light. And I think the dab kind of like set on it like that. And it kind of changed colors. So he started waving the light around like this, trying to trip us out, and it was just, like, super awkward and uncomfortable, and, and it was just bad vibes. Um, so anyway, there was just this nervous, uncomfortable energy that was, like, so powerful, you know, because this dude was, like, clearly unwell, um, and so spoiler alert if you haven't already put two and two together it really took me a while to really put this together but they were cooking meth in that trailer um yeah so that the whole reason there was that blanket set up um was because behind there they had some sort of meth lab going on um in arkansas you know there's really bad meth problems so, I mean, it wasn't like that at all. I knew Doc, you know, it was fine, it was nice, just selling weed, but I guess at some point, him and this new kid, D had kind of banded up and started cooking meth. Um, yeah, so if you can imagine, yeah, that's kind of why things were so unsettled and weird and uncomfortable. And so... D and Doc would kind of pop off behind the curtain and be all quiet and, like, doing stuff. And it was just real strange. And at, at one point, um, you know, we stepped, or sorry, uh, D and, and Doc stepped outside um, to smoke a cigarette or something. And so me and A and that kid, Zane, were all sitting on the couch, and it was just so uncomfortable at that point. It was sketchy. We didn't know what was going on. The vibes were just super weird. <laughs> I think it was like almost 1130 at night. Um, and we were, you know, we were planning on hanging out, you know, until late. So we weren't thinking about driving or anything, but it was just so like sketch and uncomfortable at that point that I said, we need to get out of here. Um, and so I made a crazy call and I said, it's so bad, we need to leave, I'm gonna drive. Um, don't recommend that, <laughs> um, mm-hmm. please don't drive on any drug. Um, but um, yeah, so my friend had like this old mercury grand Marquis, and if anybody knows that car, it's. <laughs> like driving a boat you know? <laughs> that's
0: a big one yeah <laughs> yeah
1: and the tires were like bald this was like a 90s mercury grand Marquis, and i get in it, and I start like, driving and it's raining and we're like on the highway it's like through the middle of town and i'm going like 45 because it's like raining and the tires are barely holding on and it needs an alignment and i'm like this and Jesus. i'm like terrified my pupils are huge I drop off the kid I go home and at that point I just go back into my bedroom and I'm like my mind is racing I'm like what the hell just happened I was like what was going on there um, and uh, at some point I just had this big realization um, that something was really wrong with that kid D and that like um, I don't know something happened he wasn't well and he had gone down this bad path he was spiraling um, and i wanted to be able to help people like him you know he, he was so far gone um, and so i just realized that i wanted to study psychology i would never thought anything about it before i never considered it i was a mechanical engineering student but that wasn't working for me And it was just like everything clicked at the same time. Like all Mm -hmm. these thoughts I'd had studying spirituality, you know, Buddhism and kind of on a spiritual quest, I guess, and kind of all the information just integrated at the same time. And I was like, oh, like I need to study psychology. Um, And it was just so obvious. Like I just had the answer. Next morning I woke up, I changed my major, didn't think twice about it. Wow yeah um and and then what makes the story so much crazier um, is that two weeks later uh, this kid d as i mentioned you know he had a gun i held this gun in my hand just a couple of months earlier he went to uh, a movie theater parking lot to sell some weed to some people now, it turns out they were setting him up. It was like three or four people. It was like some guys like acting like they were a girl that wanted to buy some weed, but they were really planning to rob him. And so Dee gets to this parking lot. He's got his gun on him. He walks up to the car, and these people pull out a BB gun to rob him. But, you know, it's like spray painted black or something. It looked like a real gun. Mm-hmm d flips out pulls out his gun and shoots two of them and Damn. He, yeah and he ended up sending one to the hospital and shot him in the leg i think and the other guy died um so as far as i know you know it's like six or seven years later and d still in prison for that um And yeah, so that that was like two weeks after, you know, this LSD experience. So it was just kind of like I could see how
0: far. Yeah. Man, there's so much in that, right? Like just general mental health. You know, I read a a report a few days ago about um, children in fatherless homes and the Their likelihood for crime, the likelihood for homelessness, all of that, how it just increases exponentially. And I think what really stands out to me, though, is how our failed policy around drugs has brought about so much additional suffering. You know, like how much of that could have been avoided had there been some sensible drug education, some sensible regulation around all drugs?
1: Yeah. Yeah, no, I, I hear you. I mean, there's so much throughout it. I'm even going back to the 25I experience, you know, like mm-hmm. just not knowing being a teenager. and As I understand, the threshold for overdose is actually pretty low on 25I. So, you know, yeah, there, there's a lot there. Um, yeah, I'm with you.
0: So what what has impressed me so much so far, what I've seen of you online anyway? And you know, I just came across you through LinkedIn and have seen some of the stuff you're posting and yeah. this story that you're telling now connects that even more. How important it is for anyone working in psychedelics to have real life experience with psychedelics. And I'm curious what you how, how do you uh how do you process and understand like Oregon, for instance, that is not requiring therapists to have experience with the compounds that they will be administering and like, like what, what are, what's your take on that?
1: Yeah, it's hard to require anybody to, to do it, I guess, but, um, I definitely. Well,
0: why, why, why is it hard to require if you're going to teach driving, don't you have to know how to drive? Or if you're going to teach firearm safety, don't you know how to have, you know, how to do it yourself, how to,
1: that's true. Yeah. I, I've had my concealed carry license and you have to go shoot the gun and show that you can at least hit the target. Mm -hmm. Um, yeah. Um, no, I mean, you're right. You know, uh, it's just, it's so far out of our current cultural paradigm to imagine requiring, I guess. But when you say that, I am like, Mm -hmm. I don't know. Yeah. Like why not? Um, you know my ketamine assisted psychotherapy training we do two experiential sessions um, you know you do a, a sublingual session you do intramuscular session and so it's part of the training everybody you know does that you get the didactic you know download all the information about dosing and preparation integration etc and then you just sit for somebody and then have uh, the experience yourself. Um, so I believe in that. Um, you know, we're putting together a psilocybin training right now um, and integrating an experiential component um, kind of for our team here at Holiness Center. Um, so it's definitely my, my personal philosophy. Um, you know, I, I put that quote up by Stan Groth because it just resonated um so deeply um about having the personal experience and you know up till this point i've only told kind of negative stories essentially i've had really really positive stories and safe containers um had really overwhelmingly positive LSD experiences you know one of them led to the decision to have a child so i got a child on the way, um, which kind of came together through a positive LSD experience. So you know, I, I think there's so much there and I have had so many psychedelic experiences myself that it's almost a given. Um, I can't see the perspective of somebody who's never psychedelic experience to be able to understand the knowledge that they don't have. But I do know that there have been so many times that I have gone into a psychedelic experience holding these expectations, imagining that it's going to be a certain day, and it blows my mind every time. Mm-hmm. Um, it's never what I expect it to be. Um, so there's really no describing the experience. You can only really feel it and go through it yourself. Um, so I believe it's super important. Um,
0: yeah. Can you can you talk a little bit about LSD as a therapy as compared to LSD as, <clears throat> I mean, I, I hesitate to say recreational um, or maybe LSD in a more, controlled environment versus lsd in like a park i took lsd a couple weeks ago in a park right and it was extremely therapeutic for me that's why i don't really want to make a distinguishment between recreational and therapeutic but just kind of juxtaposing the clinical versus the maybe more uh free form approach and what are some of the similarities what are some of the differences you know uh just because again like i said before we started recording lsd is still, I think, the most stigmatized psychedelic, right? Right. And and I'd love to help break down some of that barrier, help people understand the crossover and how, you know, therapy doesn't have to be necessarily contained to a four-wall clinic, but maybe a clinic can provide, um, you know, additional safety or uh, direction. So can you just talk about those two?
1: Yeah. Yeah, gosh. Well, as you were kind of getting to, it's kind of the containment, you know, the, yeah. the therapeutic container. Um, you know, it's very intentional. It's easy for me. You know, I've done LSD in a park a number of times, and I like having that freedom to explore, to step out into the world. You know, if I needed to, I could talk to somebody on LSD. Um, but that's not for everybody. Um, You know, I'm I'm thinking, like, with ketamine, for example, like, a lot of people have at-home ketamine sessions, and I've always been of the philosophy that, like, like having your first one in a clinic with a therapist is good. Um, And I guess I think kind of similarly there with LSD, like, just knowing that you're really safe and that, you know, you've met with your therapist, that they know what's going on with you, that, you know, trust them that you're all coming into this space you know you're not going to have to run into anybody you're free to be yourself you're free to have the experience there's things there for you um, you know that's that's real set and setting like being set up intentionally and I think you just kind of leave the door open um, to questionable set and setting if you're not being mindful about it if you don't know like how to tweak the art of it um Mm -hmm. i'm a real big fan of kind of the art of of set and setting um but that's i think almost a learned Mm -hmm. skill you know Mm -hmm. like if you want to have an lsd experience out in nature like there's so much that goes into that you got to know can i trust myself under lsd do i up. Do I understand nature? Do I know how to camp? Do I have somebody there to support me? Do I need somebody there to support me? Um, that's almost like levels up the line. Um, mm-hmm. And if you don't know how to curate those aspects, um, you're kind of leaving the door open to ending up in a bad situation like I was in. You know, like I wasn't being intentional. Um, in bad experience I talked about. I kind of just ended up in what I thought was a nice place and it turned out to be really really bad Um, Mm -hmm. which was instructive and you know that experience can be very instructive um, but you know if you want to know that you're safe with people that are there to help um, having the therapeutic container to have that experience can be really uh, positive and really you know where we're miles away from being able to really curate um artful experiences in nature which is you know where i would like to go one day Mm but you know there is a lot of stigma to break down to be able to understand all these things to like put together a package where you can Freely go out in nature and you know walk around barefoot or smell some things outside And have the space to roam and still be safe Um, But yeah, you know at this point in my life my most recent LST experience as I mentioned was in nature and I had kind of a private outdoor I mean it wasn't totally private, but um, it was like a secluded camping area with like a little lake and a forest and i was with my partner and you know i called my mom and talked in depth with her about what i was about to do and really thought it through and you know we said prayers and set intentions and held hands together and said we're going into this together you know we had everything safe we had everything set up plenty of water food um We were both at the point where we could talk to somebody if we needed to. We knew ourselves in the psychedelic space enough. Um, But again, you know, that's kind of for the more experienced person. um, And I think for the newer person, having that container, which a lot of people are going to need, is really important. Are you looking for a community that allows you to authentically express and explore what it means to be human, one that honors the divinity within you and all life? Then Sanctuary may be just the community you have been looking for. Sanctuary is a faith-based organization centered around the sacrament of sacred mushrooms for spiritual exploration and personal development. You are invited to become a member and commune with us. Join us for a Sunday Zoom service or a weekend sacred mushroom retreat in the beautiful Kentucky countryside. Visit p s a n c t u a r y dot org to become a member and find more information.
0: Mm-hmm. So with LSD though, it's for me it's always been um, God. I I felt like I've always needed so much space. I've needed to be able to move from space to space, and it, LSD affords itself such a wonderful opportunity for a very dynamic. Uh, setting where you can, because it's so long hmm. and there is so much energy that you can really set up some, I, I have found anyway, setting up multiple kind of spots before I go in so that I can hmm. know, okay, let's go over here now, let's do this. And so within a clinical scenario, are, are people pretty much confined to a single room or how, how does the process play out?
1: Yeah, totally. Yeah, I, I agree with you, and you know that's kind of one of the challenges, I guess, with like the fact that the the LSD study that I'm on right now, I understand at least in the United States, is the first one in, like 50 years, mm-hmm. and it's not you know we're one of about 20 different sites that are running this clinical trial, um, and I can't get too deep into the specifics because the mm-hmm. protocol's confidential. Um, but, you know, I think it just being a phase 2B FDA study, it's like the FDA, as much as I hate that, they have to allow us, we have to ask permission, but they have allowed us to be able to conduct this study. They are putting up every safeguard possible. Um, you know, so there's like 30 different inclusion exclusion criteria. And yeah, you know, we are pretty much stuck in the clinic. Um, yeah, you're pretty much in one room. Uh, you know, you have access to a bathroom. You have two people sitting with you, um, and a physician on site or on call very close by. Um, but you're pretty much yeah stuck to like a room in the clinic, which you know isn't how off the record I recommend doing LSD per se. Um, mm-hmm. That's how it's done in the clinical trial. And I understand why that is from the FDA's perspective. Um, It's not necessarily how I recommend it, but it's like if we're going through this above board process, you know, they're going to do it as safe as possible. And then you can start to play with like, okay, what if we go for a walk? Mm -hmm. Um, You know, and I don't do underground psychedelic therapy. I'm not saying you shouldn't, but um, I just don't practice in that way. But... I imagine I would allow for more freedom Um, and my vision long-term is to, you know, be able to do it in nature in like a center, retreat center kind of setting um, where you can go from place to place, where you're free to roam, where you kind of have your safe spot, where there's people there to support. Um, So I definitely believe in that. Um, I don't, you know, I didn't write this clinical (laughs) trial per se, but I can see why, you know, you kind of need to be bounded. um, Mm -hmm. But, yeah, I definitely prefer the flexibility to to walk around, to explore, to go to a different place, because you're right, it's such a long experience. There's a lot of energy. You know, I've had LSD experiences. Out in nature several times, you know, gone to a museum, and that's been one of the most amazing experiences seeing the art in like 3D, moving, breathing, coming off the mm-hmm. walls, coming alive. It's just fascinating, you know, just be able to be in a museum and like look at like super high quality art pieces and see them come to life. Um, it's so, you know, there's so much. To be explored um, outside of being kind of stuck in a room. Um, but, you know, that's
0: how it needs to occur mm-hmm, for mm-hmm. the FDA. Yeah, I mean, whatever it takes really to get this thing moving forward, specifically with LSD, um, you know, psilocybin obviously is near and dear to my heart, but there, I know that there is so much applicability with LSD. And I'm, I'm, I'm. I, it, god i you know i want to try to relate this most recent experience i don't know how i possibly could i guess what the the big question that comes away and that i came away from this most recent experience with is just in relation to consciousness itself you know with psilocybin it seems that the access is so much more to this kind of for me this world of energy right between humans plants the planet whereas LSD the experience it's it's so cerebral and has so much to do for me anyway with stream of consciousness and my curiosity around psychedelics has really moved much further beyond their ability to provide psychological relief and is more into how can we use these tools to better understand the nature of consciousness and I'm just curious what some of your if you have any reflections on that and maybe what you've seen in working with other people maybe if you have some experience in comparing you know LSD to psilocybin or DMT or other psychedelics uh, it's just so fascinating to me how these compounds can can seem to reveal different facets of consciousness to us, and then kind of bringing all those pieces together to get a more holistic picture of what consciousness is. Does any of that make sense? <laughs>
1: yeah, no, I was going <laughs> to say, actually, that was really beautifully said. I find it so hard to kind of tease apart um, psilocybin and lsd i saw a meme about it the other day something like trying to explain the difference between psilocybin and lsd to somebody who doesn't know and it's like super complicated and and the fine details but i think you you said it beautifully in terms of you know being more cerebral and uh, not as much of like a energy energetic kind of connection but um Oh, gosh, yeah, it's it's complicated. I mean, I think, you know, I've always kind of thought in this sort of Jungian way of the relationship between the subconscious mind and the conscious mind. Um, And I think overall, as a society, especially in the West here, we're so disconnected from our subconscious mind and we're not comfortable with our subconscious mind. And a lot of the times, these psychedelics can kind of as Rick Doblin said, kind of loosen the veil between the conscious and the subconscious. And it kind of puts us where the dream state is subconscious, waking state is conscious. It kind of puts us in that in-between state where there's a, you know, normally kind of a flip of a switch and now we can kind of understand both. Um, And I think, you know, so much of mental health kind of maladies, um, it's not super clear like we don't understand them super well like yes you can kind of see like there's a pattern with like depression for example or what i know better substance use disorder you know like you see these kind of reoccurring themes that you can extract out and write in that diagnostic criteria but you know you meet somebody with uh, substance use disorder and there's so much going on there it's complex mm-hmm. um and you know no nobody out here is perfect so there's such a loose relationship and unclear understanding it's not so well defined so when we get into like some of maybe what's not going well you know in that stream of consciousness where you're kind of floating through all of that like okay well either this is good or this is bad or i know and it's kind of exploring what's going on with all that um and then what i found um, with psychedelics is when you are in a good state of mind when you've done a lot of your personal work um, when there's been a lot of like work on yourself that the psychedelic experience sometimes can break through that um, and integrate it all at once like my experience realizing I wanted to study psychology wasn't just like, boom, there it is, like out of nowhere, like I said, like I'd been reading a lot. I read a Ram Das book, actually when I was eighteen um, uh it was embracing aging, changing, and dying, and I was like, "What the heck this sounds like it's written for old people? Why am I eighteen years old reading this?" <laughs> and he was talking about LSD was talking about, you know, kind of being a death duo for people. And I thought it was really fascinating. You know, I had an out of body experience at one point and it was kind of taking me in this different direction um, where I was working on myself and figuring out myself. And then it was like all that stuff that I had been exploring kind of got to this point where it was like, okay, like all of that, like I can like, taken to a career, um, even though it had never occurred to me um, to study psychology up until that point, really. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, you know, I find especially with people that have never done a psychedelic but have a really strong spiritual practice and are like, oh, I don't need this because I already do all the work myself, mm-hmm. you know? like. My mom, for example, has been a yoga teacher for like over 30 years and a teacher trainer and started meditating when she was 14. doesn't want to do a psychedelic because she's like, well, I don't understand why you need like a drug to have this spiritual growth. And I know other people like that, but it's like, I feel like in people like that, like that can unlock so much. Like oh, you know, yeah. you've done so much. So i think there's a lot to be said in terms of exploration connection unlocking things and the mind of the person who's like doing well you know quote unquote but you know it's it's not linear i think you know the conscious subconscious is so dynamic and hard to understand that you know there's something there for everybody you know i think we've We've all got our stuff that we need to work on in a way, it's a constant journey, so there's kind of always something that you can unlock um, mm-hmm. or understand through these experiences.
0: Yeah, I mean, I think the people who are the healthiest or who have, you know, a consistent spiritual practice are some of those who stand to benefit the most from these experiences. You know, and it's, it's interesting, it, it feels to me whenever I hear someone say that, uh you know i'm i'm already doing the work i've i've already got a spiritual practice or i don't need i feel like there is a fear in them that they're maybe not cognizant of you know i yeah. love the line that terrence mckenna what well, was mckenna said something like um people are afraid of psychedelics because something in them knows that they will actually do what they're purported to do sure. and you know it's it's really hard no matter what your practice is if it is grounded in kind of a baseline consciousness I think that it's 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 intimidating even for the most accomplished uh, to go into that place that is seemingly out of control right
1: yeah yeah it's it's a permanent unknown which is why it's, you know, again, it's important to have the experience to know how to hold that experience for somebody else. Um, but if you never do it, it's this unknown thing. And there's a real value to unlock in taking yourself there and being willing to go there, you know, with yourself.
0: Absolutely. Absolutely. So how far away, you know, how, how to even ask this question? It's, it's, um, so I would have never dreamed 10 years ago that we'd be seeing, seeing states legalizing psilocybin right now. Right. It completely, completely blows me away. Um, so it, it leads me to wonder realistically, what kind of timeline are we on for LSD? I mean, this, this is the, you know, Tim, Tim Leary, who I, uh, for, for some time thought, you know, he was just this madman who crashed the psychedelic renaissance single-handedly and then i watched uh dying to know have you seen that documentary uh no uh, it's an no. incredible documentary where ram Dass goes and visits tim leary while he's dying you know and uh-huh. they, they have this beautiful conversation and they re- recall their time together and it was it really presented leary in a very different light and i i came away from that with really massive respect for him and feeling like he was just way ahead of his time and you know all of my work with psilocybin and lsd to the end of the day you know the therapy is about enjoying life that's where we're trying to get to is realizing that this is all just a game and we're here to play and enjoy our time and i feel like leary actually realized that you know Way ahead of the game, but I'm I'm just I'm I'm so eager because LSD has brought so much benefit to my life. I'm so eager for this to become more accessible and for people to let down their guard and and you know for the the lies of the uh, Nixon era drug war to finally be proven false. So where are we at? So from somebody that's on the ground level with LSD. Where are we in terms of it becoming accepted and accessible? Yeah, well, as you know, it's
1: um, non-linear and kind of unclear, but I'm thinking about a lot of different factors and pathways, and you know, one of them is just kind of more broadly the stigma uh, and unlocking the stigma is where I think doing right now in real time uh, as Timothy Hillary did, you know, getting the word out there um, and really getting people to understand these things and there's so much baggage, um, you know, from the 60s, 70s to their drug war days. So um, I'd like to think that we're close. Um, I think, you know, some of the other angles from kind of legal regulatory perspectives are the kind of state level, federal level. Um, You know, if everything goes well with this Phase 2 be my trial, it will be done in about a year. Um, And then we can go on to Phase 3, and that might take a year or two, and then they got to submit to the FDA, and that might take a year or two. Um, So, in my mind, on the federal pathway, you know, LSD for anxiety is about a five-year timeline, but, you know, the the basically formula for LSD that's used in this study, it's um, detartrate, which I understand is kind of like a salt form of LSD, um, rather than a, a free base. And so, only... You know, MindMed's proprietary blend will be available and it will uh, only be for anxiety and that might be regulated in some way. Um, And then what's going on with psilocybin uh, currently is that, you know, they're approving it at the state level, um, you know, already in Oregon, already in Colorado, and now we're seeing other bills proposed. Um, But there's no federal, you know, laws in place. There's no protection against getting in federal trouble. It's basically like, just don't step on the fence toes um, and you probably won't get in trouble. Um, You know, for marijuana, we're still unlocking that at the federal level. There is a law in place called the Cole Memorandum, which protects, Um, I understand like uh, marijuana companies are getting in federal trouble. Um, Mm. So we don't have that right now for psilocybin. Um, And you know, who knows, that'll be rescheduled. Um, But I guess I could see maybe like LSD at the state level. Um, But you know, we need psilocybin first. Um, We need these other compounds first, and then maybe people will start taking risks with LSD, but, you know, we need to break down the stigma to allow that to happen.
0: Absolutely, absolutely, which is one of the main reasons, again, like I said, I wanted to have you on here. So, were you involved in uh, Prop 122 at all? Um, One
1: second, here, I'm... I think my camera's lagging. I'm gonna turn it to standard definition. Um, Was I involved in Prop 122? Uh, Mm -hmm. You know, I wasn't involved in the way, I mean, I guess I was. I kind of came in at the end of the game. Uh, I was talking a lot with my partner about opening a retreat center, especially after we had a powerful LSD experience in nature. Um, You know, we really wanna be able to bring psychedelics in a natural setting to people. I'm a big outdoors fan. Um, and I got invited to kind of a local benefit fundraiser um, deal here in Fort Collins um, by the Natural Medicine Health Act people who were the ones putting it together. Uh, my boss, Scott Shannon, he was pretty directly involved Um Uh, he was a lot of the face on commercials and things, a lot of the public voice um, for psychedelics. So I went with him to uh, a local kind of fundraising event. I put some of my own, you know, money, I'm not a rich man at all, but I threw some pennies um, into the pot and I started to kind of be a vocal advocate uh, for, for Prop 122 in my personal life, on LinkedIn, uh, just kind of educating people. Um, So in that way I was, um, I read Prop 122, kind of, and and realized that it was a pathway for a retreat center setting, and also for decriminalization, and kind of that it really hit both of these points. Um, I became concerned towards, you know, the vote um, coming in that you know it, it only allowed for the big players to to enter the game and that the big players would would win out um, which was kind of a I understand a collective concern um, I realized as we voted that it wasn't up to me that you know millions of people voted for it like over three million total yes and no. And it won by a thin margin. It was like 52.48 or something. Mm-hmm. Um, so I kind of realized, you know, like this isn't up to me. Um, I think now, you know, we're seeing from the healing center model that it is kind of like the people with all the money and the resources are, are winning out right now. They're the ones able to set this up. But the real positive is that, you know, it, just, it really opens the door and moves us in the right direction. You know, there's this decriminalization pathway and kind of through that pathway, you can also practice uh, like sitting for people. You can, you know, uh, do that for free. You can charge for it. Um, but, yeah, so I think it's a step in the right direction. I'm, you know, involved in, in a few ways. I'm excited for this. Um, so, yeah.
0: So I I had thought 122 was um a little more accessible to the general public in terms of practitioners that I, I think there is a carve out for religious use there is a there is a personal use allowance isn't there it's just you can and gifting it just can't be sold Right. Um, okay. Right. So yeah. like what 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 about 122 um of puts it in the hands of the big players other than the fact that people with money are always going to be able to you know build centers and advertise and and do all of that that is, is are there specifics about 122 that um kind of prevent you know ground floor development you know not not exactly in the way that
1: it's written you know the, the personal use thing is very helpful i think the people that put it together were trying to to mitigate everything going into the hands of the big players Um, you know big question mark is how implementation will actually roll out with the healing center pathway because that's left in the hands of colorado's department of regulatory agencies um and they kind of oversee every license that's handed out um, And so, you know, healing centers and facilitators will pay a fee to um, Colorado to fund this um, advisory, advisory committee of about 14 people. And and those 14 people will make all of the decisions. So it's more like a question mark. I don't think it's an intentional move on anybody's part to leave this in the hands of big players. I just think, you know, like you said, in general, you know, just the people with the money are going to get all the opportunities and leave the rest in the dirt. Um, you know, that's kind of a, more of a fact of life, I guess. Yes, um, and there was some concern by partners and I don't entirely agree with that, you know, that there needs to be more accessibility for the small players. Um, and I think that's written in some way. Like BIPOC folks can have like cheaper licensing fees or their scholarships or something of that nature. I need to brush up a little bit on the act itself. But um, no, it's not written in entirely in that way. Um, but you know it's just hard Um, it's hard for small players to be well resourced enough to get together something um that's really you know like really have a center have a clinic um Mm -hmm. but otherwise you know as i stated like right now you can practice sitting for dmt uh, for mescaline but not peyote Um, for Ibogaine and for psilocybin you can share those you can create them you can take them and there's protections in place to be able to sit for somebody on the like on any of those agents Um, it's just a more formal like licensed healing uh, center pathway that still needs to be worked out by the state that's going to be
0: kind of a tighter ship gotcha yeah i mean that's where my hope is that particularly with psilocybin because it's it is so easy to grow your own mushrooms to produce produce your own sacrament as we as we call it in sanctuary where i I feel like the churches are going to have a greater opportunity to provide that kind of access um you know where it is just like kind of grassroots people just coming together engaging in their practice community support i suspect that things like lsd and and ibogaine and and et cetera et cetera that are a little more input in the creation um will be different Uh, but to 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 envision a community support model uh that isn't you know just from this kind of top down we are uh you know we're the certified by the state you know we've uh, i think i think there's i think we're going to see that as time goes on it's going to take some time to adjust people got to become comfortable with you know psilocybin and its safety and efficacy and then as people start to have more and more profound spiritual experiences and they realize how important community is for integration and the ongoing benefits then we'll see more of these kinds of models develop and that will provide an opportunity for people like us i mean i don't have any money we start a sanctuary with with nothing you know um and it's and it's growing it's barely supporting us but it is you know supporting us as a family and and that's really all that matters to me in terms of psilocybin what does your what's your relationship with psilocybin look like yeah um i
1: have a positive relationship with psilocybin uh, <laughs> a healthy one uh Yeah, gosh, you know, uh, um, it's so interwoven with my LSD experiences, you know, we've talked a lot about my LSD experiences, it's interesting just looking back on my life, how much of a relationship I've had with LSD, but you know, there have been experiences that I didn't talk about with LSD, and there have been a lot of psilocybin experiences, um, you know, throughout the years, none are sticking out in particular to me um right now Uh, maybe some of the lower dose ones that i've had recently um but yeah no I'm, i'm a big psilocybin advocate um you know as i mentioned we're kind of putting together training and hoping to put something together with prop 122 um so yeah you know i I class it in with LSD in a lot of ways in my mind it's just sort of brother and sister agents um, as I understand you know it's it might be a little bit safer than LSD or maybe it's just that we don't know but as I understand the risk um, for psychotic break is actually lower on psilocybin and again like we don't really have that research I've heard that from a psychiatrist, a local psychiatrist Craig Heacock, that you know psilocybin is, is super safe. Um, LSD, you know, I have heard of people having that schizophrenic break. Um, you know, if you're predisposed, some people say that's not true. We don't have the research, um, but you know, you don't really hear that with psilocybin. Um, and so I think psilocybin is friendlier. I think it's safer in a lot of ways. It has that appeal of, you know, just being a mushroom. Um, I'm a big fan of mushrooms in general, cul- <laughs> you know, culinary mushrooms. I've foraged a lot of mushrooms. You know, I'm, I'm into all that. So. Um, I think it's good. I like, you know, the pathway right now that we have um, sort of legally to roll out psilocybin. You know, there you got the religious use pathways for accessibility, sort of medical use pathways and kind of decrim pathways. That's how my boss Scott puts it. And, you know, I think psilocybin fits well into all of those. Um, We're seeing it in Clinical trials, you know, as you use it in a religious uh, context. Um, and also, you know, we're now decriminalizing it. And I think it, it fits in all those. It's accessible uh, to the lay public. You know, it's really not many people that it's not well indicated for um, well persons or, you know, quote unquote unwell persons. So, yeah.
0: Yeah, I like how you compare them as brother and sister. I do see them so uh, closely related. Although I would, say, I don't know from my experience, which is relatively limited with LSD, particularly at high doses. Most I've ever done is a 300 mic dose, um, but have seen <clears throat> high doses of psilocybin. <clears throat> excuse me. Um, definitely bring about some some. Uh, uh, breaks you know during the session and that's something i'm I'm curious how the field is going to handle um, these experiences whether or not we're going to try to medicate people back to baseline or if we're going to allow the process to run its course which is has always been um, my approach but yeah, no, there's so much to be seen here, and it's such a, a wonderful and open field right now. And I really appreciate yourself and your team and everybody that's helping to move the needle on this, um, you know, in the eyes of the government, in the eyes of the public as well. So, uh, I guess we always like to ask our, 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 uh, interviewee what psilocybin says to them, but I'm actually, I'd like to ask you today to finish us off here. What is it that, what does LSD say to you, Cole, since this is the compound that you seem to have the most experience and maybe affinity with? Oh
1: gosh. Yeah. Oh my God. It's interesting. I feel like it's always, as I said, um, it's always been with me. It's affected me in, in so many ways, um, even in some way, my my daughter will be named after LSD. Her name, <laughs> her name is Ellis um, and her middle name will be Darling, which is my partner's last name. So LSD, Ellis Darling. Um, <laughs> I love it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Man, I don't know, I, it's like, I don't want to say, but I don't know how else to like make the analogy of like a virus, but like a positive virus, (laughs) I guess. Like maybe something like a a plant that grows in my mind or something. Um, It's came into my life. It's opened doors for me. It feels like it just, yeah, I, I have such a weird and close relationship with it. That I think it wants me to share it with the world, you know, through this podcast and just speaking openly, through doing the work, um, through my own research, I can kind of unlock and unpack, you know, what is the reality of this compound? What is the personal relationship with this compound? And that's, you know, a beautiful mystery to me. I really, I love a good mystery. I love unpacking a mystery love learning um, and so that you know really sits with me um, is that there's a mystery here but I think that you know people tend to fill in unknown with their own fears so if there's something that's not known people's mind fills that with fear um, and I think LSD gets a lot of that fear all the cultural baggage, all the myths of like holes in your brain and who knows what, you know, jumping out mm. of windows. I mean, that's all myth, mm. but um, you know, it just it wants me to share its message, um, and and I'm fine with that. I'm happy to do it, I'm here for it. <laughs> you know, I, I have the passion, um so yeah um, i want it to be done safely um, i think there's ways to do it safely but you have to understand it as i mentioned there's an art to it there, um alan Watts said that i don't know the exact quote um he said something like if you like take a homeless guy off the street that doesn't know how to play piano sit down at a piano he's not going to know what to do with it uh if you take a comp- and set him down at a piano, and he spent his whole life on this thing. And he's going to use that artfully. And so LSD is a tool, um, you know. And, and you got to know how how to set it up right and how to use it. Um, so I think that's important. Um, so that's definitely a message I want to spread with it. Yeah.
0: Beautiful. Beautiful. Well, thank you so much for the work that you're doing here um, to to spread this message. It's going to benefit so many into the future. It's uh it's impossible for us to see the impact of our actions right now, but I feel like you know those of us who are moving uh moving the needle on psychedelic wellness are gonna have our you know, we will be remembered, if not individually, our generation will be remembered for the healing that it has brought, and all those before us who have been uh, subject to the unfair laws and imprisonment and 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 judgment and and just so much. So, it's it's a beautiful road that we're on. I really feel that you have a beautiful heart. I've appreciated everything that I've seen you share, and the the, the gratitude in which you seem to engage within the community. And uh, I'm just very grateful to know that there are researchers like yourself out there who are having their own experience and bringing that into their professional work.
1: Yeah, thank you. I definitely um, hit, a, hit a hard stream with the imprisonment because I thought about that on my last LSD experience, you know. Like, um, there was almost this this terror uh, of engaging with society as I stepped out of this forest in front of this um, mm-hmm. sort of crater lake. Um, and I saw a helicopter fly in. And it was also kind of the place where society met me, like the middle ground between the forest, the world of society, and like town. Mm-hmm. Um, And I kind of got this overwhelming feeling of like, well, what if I talk to somebody and they know I'm on LSD or a park ranger or something, and they have this power over me and they can imprison me. Um, And and I just realized, um, you know, that I, you know, I'm competent in this space that I could talk my way out of it, hopefully. But, you know, just the fact that anybody could, be imprisoned for wanting to unlock the secrets of their mind to understand themselves to do better. Um, I can't imagine, you know, that's a dark reality, and you know, so in some ways, it's it's hard to even talk really openly about this thing is totally illegal and be like, I had an experience that in the eyes of the government, you know, they could throw me in jail for, it, but um, but it's so important, you know, I don't know. To would think that I'd have to go to jail um, mm-hmm. or be imprisoned or face legal punishment. So, you know, I've always kind of set myself up that way of uh, trying to give myself, you know, a professional image, but, you know, at some point you get so sterile um, and it's not real, it's not authentic and, you know, you need to be able to really speak openly and put yourself on the line
0: even if it's kind of scary, so. 100%. Oh, God, that's so true. I identify with that so much. And uh, I think that's one of the reasons why, uh, I don't know, I'm just super grateful for you kind know, of the world that I live in, because while I totally know and see the value of uh, bringing psychedelics into the clinic, like for me, it's always just dirty, gritty. You know, like I love the rawness that psychedelics bring about and i can just dig into the dirt uh so anyway yeah there's so much here to explore and it's an interesting future that we have and thank you so much for playing your part and helping it unfold cole yeah thanks harry thanks for
1: having me on i appreciate the opportunity